We're going uh, to be in 1 Corinthians 7. I also want to give the directive once again this morning that this is uh, more directed towards adults. And I do apologize for that because I know these are family services. You're watching these services with uh, your kids. As we go through 1 Corinthians, uh, this is the topic that the Lord is, is bringing up. It's a great place uh, to learn about marriage and all that that entails, but parents, I'll leave that up to you, but that is the source of our content uh, this morning. Looking forward to this study, praying that God uses it in the lives of marriages and uh, singles. So would you pray with me? Let's pause and let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are in the midst of these uncertain times, that you're certain, that you're the anchor of our souls, that you're unchanging. And we do pray for your will in our lives. We pray that there would be a magnifying of Jesus, that we would fall in love with you, Jesus, and we would be filled with your love, love for one another, love for believers, love for this community and the world. We do ask that RMC could be a testimony of Jesus during this time, that that's what we would stand for, we would stand on the hill of Mount Calvary and proclaim your goodness and your hope. We thank you for the design of marriage, for the design of sexuality inside of marriage, and we pray that you would bless married couples, that your word would be a refreshing into their marriages, protect them from the enemy. We also thank you for the gift and calling of singleness and pray you would encourage those who are single that they would see the value of their singleness. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you right now. We just ask that you would do great things through our time in your word. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Living out of commitment is so worthwhile. It's what God calls us to do. The center of this message in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 is that we're bought with a price. We're bought with the blood of Jesus. He loved us so much that he sent himself down from heaven to die for our sins and his blood was shed upon the cross to where we belong to the Lord to the point where our body our physical body belongs to the Lord and glorify him with our bodies if we're not focused on the love of Jesus if we're not focused on the sacrifice that he made upon the cross as we look at living it out living out the blood of Jesus in our relationships, we're going to miss it. The focus of this passage is not marriage and singleness and calling. The focus of the passage is Jesus. At the end of chapter 6, I want to remind you what Paul says. He says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. At the end of our text this morning, we're going to be reminded again that we are bought with a price. That Jesus has paid that price for us. So we want to live out the commitment to Christ. My in-laws, they're going to be celebrating this weekend their 40th wedding anniversary. And I'm so excited for them because they've lived in commitment. They've lived in commitment to the Lord and they've lived in commitment to each other. And we get the joy as a family of honoring that commitment that they have made to Christ. Honoring that commitment that they have made to each other. In a world where so many times people give up on marriage 
and cash in the chips, they have lived out that commitment to the Lord and to one another. So there's three ways that we're going to focus on living in commitment, and it's in intimacy. You're committed to intimacy inside of your marriage, affection inside of your marriage. You're committed to marriage, making that commitment to not divorce for those who are married, and then committed to calling, being willing to dwell where God has called you, whether it's marriage or singleness. Now, concerning the things of which you wrote to me, Paul now addresses the questions that the church of Corinth had for him. And there's this question that they have about marriage and about sex, and he's going to address that question. He says, it's good for a man to not touch a woman. This is to the degree, this is to the point in which God values sexual integrity. He says, you should not even touch a woman. Verse 2, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. So to prevent sexual immorality, God has given the blessing of marriage. He's created intimacy to be expressed between a man and a woman, a husband and wife, inside of the commitment of marriage. Verse 3, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. So this is the first commitment. Living out of a response to the blood of Jesus is husbands and wives is be committed to intimacy, be committed to affection. It's interesting that the scriptures that the Apostle Paul here highlights affection because it's not just the physical act of sex, the physical act of intimacy, but it's the whole environment of the relationship being one of affection, being one of kindness, being one of others-centered. And Paul emphasizes here that this is something that is due to the spouse. This is something that we are to honor our spouse in this way because Christ does have priority in our hearts and our lives to say, I want to serve my spouse with kindness. I want to be other-centered and put my spouse's needs before my own. And if you're living in this atmosphere of giving each other affection, giving each other love and respect, that your relationship is wrapped in kindness then that is going to impact your sexual intimacy in a positive way. However, though, if you treat each other in a way where there's a lack of kindness and there's a rudeness and even being a jerk to our spouse, then you're going to have to understand that that's going to affect your, your intimacy in a negative way. I know this is a hard topic for some. This is a hard topic to, to discuss some of you are like, okay, I'm turning off uh, the live stream. I, I don't want to hear this. I want you to understand that sex is God's idea. It's God's design. He came up with it. And the Bible is filled with God's heart and instruction for us on sex. And so if I'm going to teach the Bible, it's going to come up. And it comes up quite frequently, Genesis to Revelation. I hope you understand God's design and his creation of sex. We see in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, that God created Adam and Eve, male and female, in his image. When Adam was alone, God goes through his creation, says it's not good for Adam to dwell alone, and created Eve. Adam then sees Eve, and he's blown away. 
He says, wow, this is God's creation and provision for me. And they knew each other as husband and wife before the fall of sin. The first command that God gives to Adam and Eve, the first command that God gives to humanity is Genesis 1 verse 28 and it says to be fruitful and multiply. It comes even before to go and subdue the earth. So God's heart was for sexuality to occur, sex to occur between a husband and wife and Adam and Eve. We get so many perversions of God's design. We see that the world wants to twist and thwart what God's design. We get a message through media. We get a message through movies. We get a message from the world through conversation. And have you viewed sex through a worldly lens or have you viewed it through God's lens? And how you view sex, it does impact how that then flows into your marriage. If you see sex as a negative thing, that's going to affect your sex life between your husband and wife. So I want to encourage you to go back to God's design, to see that this is something that God has created that is good, that's healthy for you to engage in inside of your marriage, inside of that commitment one to another. We see here that there should be this edification that takes place between the husband and the wife to render to the wife the affection due her and likewise to the husband the affection that is due him. In intimacy, there should be mutual satisfaction. For some reason, uh, in counseling couples over the years, I've discovered that sex is something that they oftentimes don't talk about in their relationship. So they talk about finances, they talk about raising the kids, uh, you know, they talk about hobbies, they talk about the Lord, but they don't talk about their sexual intimacy. And I want to encourage you as couples is create the framework inside of your marriage to where you talk about intimacy, to talk with your spouse and say, is this something that is blessing you? Is this something that is building you up? How do you feel about our intimacy? Because God's design is not just the physical act, but that the husband and wife would both be edified after sexual intercourse takes place between the husband and the wife. So if you haven't talked about this in a while, I would encourage you to talk about it. Pray before you have the conversation. If you've never talked about it, you need to talk about it because it's an important part of your relationship. You want your commitment to sexual intimacy to flow out of your love for the Lord. Because you're bought with a price to glorify God with your body, one of the ways to do that is to meet your spouse's need in this area of intimacy. If for some reason intimacy is neglected in your relationship or it's broken in your relationship, be encouraged. It's something that God can restore. It's something that God could heal to be able to press into the Lord, to get counseling if you need it from a biblical Christian perspective, but to see God rebuild that intimacy inside of your marriage. But remember, it's holistic. It's holistic. Intimacy is going to be affected by the way that you treat one another. So there may be some deeper issues that needed to be looked at in this area of intimacy. No, don't neglect it in your marriage. It's an important part of your marriage. You're, you're living in commitment to intimacy inside of your marriage. In verse 4, 
The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now, please understand that there's never room for abuse. This should never be used in a way where abuse takes place in a relationship. So don't apply it in that way. The understanding of this goes deeper than the act of sex as well. In marriage, you're saying, I'm here to serve you and my body belongs to you. So if you need me to do something, if you need me to do the dishes, if, if you need me to fix something around the house, it, I'm here to serve you. My, my body doesn't belong to me anymore. It belongs to the Lord and it belongs to you. So I'm here to, to serve you. And that's also expressed in intimacy. It's expressed in, in sex. This should be the attitude in which we approach intimacy with our spouse is to say, I want to serve you. My, my body belongs to you. And so I want you to be built up in what God has designed and what God has uh, created. So if you're single, we'll talk more about singleness in just a moment, but if you're single and you have a desire to get married down the road, you definitely want to choose wisely and count the cost uh, and evaluate the person's character that you're considering married. Because it's the hugest decision, it's the biggest decision that you'll make in your life, second to receiving Christ uh, as your Savior. In verse 5, do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan doesn't tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So Paul says the only reason that you would choose to not have intimacy with each other is for this season, this mutually agreed season, this mutually agreed uh, consent to take some time to pray and to fast. And Paul says, don't make that time too long because if you deprive one another, then you're opening yourself up to the temptation of Satan through the lack of self-control. There is possibly the idea in the church of Corinth that sex inside of marriage was bad, that you had to abstain from sex inside of marriage. And so that's one of the things that Paul is clearing up here. He's saying, no, sex is good inside of marriage. It's God's design. And you would only take a time to not express your love to each other in intimacy if you agreed to take this time to pray and fast. I want you to focus on the end of verse 5. It says, so that Satan doesn't tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So we understand from verse 5 that Satan is going to attack believers to try to get them into sexual sin. It's been said, and it's absolutely true, that Satan's going to try to get you in bed before you're married and then try to keep you out of bed after you're married. So he's after us. His mission statement is clear in John 10.10, 10, that he has come to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But Jesus has come to give life and to give it more abundantly. So be wise. Singles, be wise. Satan's going to try to get you to compromise sexually to destroy your life. Also married couples, understand, Satan's going to try to attack your sex life. He's going to try to get you to the place where you're not expressing intimacy and affection to your spouse. 
But what Paul is encouraging here is out of a love for the Lord and out of a love for our spouse is we want them to be protected in this way. So there's pleasure in sex between a husband and a wife. It's mutually satisfying, but also there's protection in intimacy. As you have an affectionate, life-giving relationship, a holistic relationship of affection that also impacts your intimacy, that is going to be a protective nature when it comes to sexual sin. So think this through in a little bit. We want to pursue our spouse relationally so that they're not tempted by someone who's not their spouse who's pursuing them relationally. What do I mean? Husbands, we want to be pursuing the heart of our wife so that some other guy doesn't come along and give her the conversation and affection that we're supposed to be providing. Hopefully, our wife's tank, her emotional tank, is being filled by the Lord and by us as husbands to where they're protected from undue temptation. In the same way, wives, you want to be pursuing the heart of your man, the heart of your husband, and expressing your respect and your love uh, to him so that when other ladies come along, there's this protection that's been placed because of the health of your relationship. Now, having said that, sexual sin and all sin is always our responsibility, So if there's a lack of intimacy in your marriage, that's never a justification to go out and sin sexually and then blame it on, hey, there's no intimacy in my marriage, so I went ahead and engaged in sexual sin. Because you remember from last week's study, the reason that we live in sexual integrity is because Jesus has bought us with a price. We're expressing our love to God first and foremost. In verse 6, But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. What's Paul referring to? He's referring to this break in intimacy in a marriage. He's saying it's not a command to take a break in in intimacy for prayer and fasting, but this is a concession that I'm making to you if you feel led uh, to do that. Verse 7, For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from the Lord, one in this manner and another in that. Paul is emphasizing here that being single has its advantages, that being single is not something that should be looked down upon. Paul says, I wish that all were single as I am single. And in our study next week, Paul's going to explain more of the value of, of singleness. This is very counterculture to what the Jews believed and taught. In the Mishnah, it's written that it was the view of the Jews that all males were under the obligation to marry unless they were sexually impotent. So for a Jewish male, which Paul was, to not be married would be hugely frowned upon in the Jewish community. And if you have felt shamed or you have felt out of place or you have felt less than as a person or a Christian because you're not married and other Christians have made you feel that way, I want to apologize to you because you're not less. And that gifting and that calling of singleness is so valued by the Lord and you have an opportunity to serve the Lord in a unique and undistracted way. So some of you may be in a place where 
you feel called to singleness and God hasn't called you to be married and you should wear that, that calling that God has given to you with pride in a good way. Others of you maybe have a desire to be married, but God has never allowed that. He's never opened the door for you and to be able to see how God wants to use singleness. So Paul highlights the calling and the value of singleness in verse seven. Verse eight, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it's good for them if they remain even as I. So Paul's saying, if you're unmarried or you're widowed, it's good for you to stay in that place of singleness. Verse nine, but if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Paul's saying be honest with yourself. If you're single and sexual temptation is just too much, God desires for intimacy to be found inside of marriage, so go ahead and pursue marriage because it's better for you to be married than to burn with lust, to burn with, with passion. So it's important to be, be honest if, with yourself if you find yourself in singleness and say, yeah, I don't have the calling to be single and Lord, would you bring me a spouse and go ahead and pursue a godly person in marriage. Things shift in verse 11 from intimacy to the commitment of marriage, the commitment of of marriage, not pursuing divorce, but staying faithful to our vows. You guys still with me? Everybody's still tracking along? I'd like to pause for just a second. And I know that there's a lot of pain in marriage and there's a lot of past hurt pain and present pain and difficulty And right now, if your marriage needs prayer, feel free to reach out to us through the comments and the chats. You don't have to go into detail, but would you please pray for my marriage? Or or if you've been really hurt in a relationship, maybe you've experienced a, a divorce and you didn't desire to be divorced and your spouse left you and committed adultery, there's been pain in your life in this area of dating relationships as as a single if you need prayer in anything that has been encompassed of what we're talking about right now go to the chat go to the comments ask for prayer there's even an opportunity for us to to follow up with you uh, directly but the lord wants to heal marriages the lord wants to bring hope where there's hopelessness god wants to heal the heart of the the single person so i want you to know we're here to pray with you we're here to interact with you and verse 10 now to the married i command Yet not I, but the Lord. So Paul says, this isn't a suggestion that I'm making, but this is a command from the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. So living in commitment is a commitment to marriage. God's heart is not for divorce. In Malachi, it says that God hates divorce. The reason that God says that is because he knows that divorce destroys us. It destroys lives. When people get married, they become one flesh. When they're one flesh, how do you tear them apart? How do you take one flesh and then divide them into two? The only way for that to happen is an extreme amount of pain and an extreme amount of of heartbreak. And God's message is clear here. The covenant of marriage is one that we should stay committed to. So if you are married, whether you realize it or not, you committed before God 
to stay inside of, of that marriage. And you may be wrestling with this right now of saying, I want to get divorced. I'm pursuing a divorce. And God's heart to you would be stay committed to your marriage. And even in the most difficult of circumstances and the most trying of marriages, if two people will turn their hearts to the Lord, allow God to soften their hearts, repentance takes place, then God can restore that relationship. The reason that people get divorced, the Bible tells us, is because of hardness of heart. Hardness of heart. So examine your heart before the Lord and saying, has my heart gotten hard before my spouse? There's sin and hurt, and over time that sin and hurt has caused that hardening of heart, and the Holy Spirit would want to come in and soften your heart. And you to see your spouse as someone that God has created, that Jesus died for. So I'm going to stay committed to this marriage. You don't know what is on the other side as you press into the Lord, as you press into this commitment, is you may find a very healthy marriage in the years to come. We've seen God do great work in broken marriages here at RMC. And we're here to want to walk alongside of you. You can call the church office. The pastors are doing pastoral counseling. We have marriage mentors, lady counselors to meet with you women men to counsel you men, but to say, I want to press into the Lord first and foremost. I desire to stay committed to my marriage, to see what God has on the other side of this. So God's saying, don't depart, don't divorce. And isn't it amazing that so many years in the history, in the past, here's this church of Corinth that's struggling with the same thing that we're struggling with today, and that's with divorce. Remember that Biblical marriage between Christians is an expression of Christ in the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, respect and submit your husbands. It's a bigger deal than even our own relationship. It's the opportunity for us to be a YouTube video, to be a billboard, to be that message to the world of Christ's love. Christ and the church, and Christ is committed to us, and so we stay committed to each other in marriage. And allow the Lord to strengthen you as you reaffirm that commitment that he's going to be faithful to you, that there is a, a way forward. In verse 12, reading down through verse 14, but to the rest, I not the Lord say, if any brother has a wife who doesn't believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce and a woman, a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he's willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean, but now they are holy. So there's this question, well, what if my spouse is an unbeliever? Can I divorce them? And God's message is clear. If they're willing to continue to be married to you, then you stay committed to that marriage with the hopes that God is going to use you to bring Jesus to your spouse and to bring Jesus to your children. So many testimonies, so many wonderful testimonies of God doing a work in the heart of an unbelieving spouse. So if that's your situation Stay committed to the Lord. Live in commitment and say, I'm going to stay inside of this marriage with the hopes that my life can be used as a testimony to my unbelieving spouse. 
I'm here staying committed to the Lord to be that spiritual influence to my children. I'm having the opportunity to proclaim Christ to my kids as well. Verse 15, but if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such case, but God has called us to peace. So if you have an unbelieving spouse that says, I don't want to be married to you, and I'm going to depart, Paul says, let him depart. And you're not under bondage in this case, but you have peace from the Lord. It doesn't say, like it does in verse 11, that you should remain single or be reconciled. So there is the possibility in verse 15 when God says that he's called you to peace. If you have an unbelieving spouse that leaves you, that you then in time have the opportunity to be remarried. And the big question in this is, if there is divorce, is there the opportunity for remarriage? And we do know that God says that in Matthew 18, when it comes to sexual immorality, adultery, that that is a, a reason for a divorce. Now, God does want to reconcile in that situation if there's repentance, but if there's no repentance, you're not required by the Lord to live in a relationship where your, your spouse is being unfaithful to you repetitively over and over again. There has to be repentance for that to be uh, restored. So as you hear this, you might be in a place where you're saying, man, I've been divorced in the past. Where does this leave me? And I do want to focus your attention to the blood of Jesus. And thankfully, we serve God of grace who died for our sins and rose again and provides forgiveness even for uh, divorce. And having understood that, then to receive God's grace and walk in that forgiveness. And we never want to use God's grace as a license for sin, where we say, well, I know God will forgive me, so I'm going to divorce my, my spouse. But if it's part of your past and you've repented, receive God's grace and walk in forgiveness. But I want also all of us to hear the seriousness of this passage. The seriousness of this passage is that God is calling us to be committed to marriage. Because we're bought with a price. And to stay true to our vows and to be that testimony of Christ and love one another even in the difficult times. Verse 16, For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Do you know the spiritual impact that you might have upon your spouse? The third thing that we're to live in commitment in is calling in verse 17. But God has distributed to each one as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all of the churches. So God is the one who distributes calling. He's the one who has placed us in certain parts of life. He's the one who's allowed some to be married and some to live in singleness. God wants us to be true to the calling that he's given us, to walk in, to live in, to live out the commitment of where he has placed us. Paul gives us a few examples. He says, was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not be uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Jew, Gentile, stay in your calling. If you're a Gentile, don't seek to be circumcised. Continue to live inside of your culture. If you're a Jew, continue to live inside of your culture. God has created culture, and he has placed us in different cultures. And so Paul's encouraging Jews and, and Gentiles, 
Stay true to where God has, has placed you. Don't seek to be circumcised or uncircumcised. In verse 19, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Paul puts the focus on what's really important and he says it's not about whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, but being obedient to the Lord. That was always the emphasis of circumcision was not just an outward act, but a heart that was surrendered to the Lord. In verse 20, let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can, be free, rather use it. So Paul is dealing with believers who are slaves and believers who are free, and this idea of calling and this idea that God has placed you somewhere, he says if you're a slave... If you can be free, by all means, be free and use that freedom for the glory of God. But if you can't be free, there would be some Christians who are slaves who would not ultimately be freed from slavery. Paul says, don't concern yourself about that. But verse 22, for he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. So those slaves that were Christians, ultimately, they were free in Christ. Ultimately, their master was Christ. And they had eternity to look forward to. And to those who were free, those who weren't slaves, they were the slaves of Christ. Their life belongs to to Christ. So for both instances, God is putting the focus on Christ. This is something to evaluate in our lives and the closest application that we have, thankfully we don't live in a culture of slavery, is with our jobs. You might have a job where you say, I've got a real taskmaster. I think you have freedom in the Lord to try to seek another opportunity, just like a slave would seek freedom. But if there's no other opportunity, remember you serve the Lord. Remember that you belong to the Lord. Maybe you're in a great works situation and you have a lot of freedom in your job. Well, remember to have integrity and be accountable to Christ because you belong to Christ. You're Christ's slave. Remain where you're called. We have very little power. We think that we can move this way and move that way and get into this school and have that job, but it's the Lord who established. It's the Lord who raises one up. It's God who opens a door and closes a door. So it's not wrong to knock on doors, but be faithful to where the Lord has placed you. It's a lot more difficult sometimes to bloom where you're planted than to leave where God has has called you. We always have this temptation to say, well, maybe it'll be easier somewhere else, or the grass is greener on the other side. Verse 23, you are bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Don't start serving men. You are, are God's slave. You belong to him. You're bought with a price. Again, this theme of the value of the blood of Jesus Brethren, let each one remain with God in the state in which he was called. And Paul, next week, will build on this to those that are called to be single and those that are called to be married. Stay inside of that calling. Married couples, the reason that you can stay inside of that calling is because God is with you. Remain with God in the midst of that calling. God is with you in that marriage. In that healthy marriage, keep going. God is with you. In that difficult marriage, that mundane marriage, keep going because God is is with you. For those of you that are single, 
is you want God to lead you to a spouse. You don't want to make that happen on your own strength and effort and wisdom. You want God to lead that process and be content in your singleness and look for the opportunity to serve the Lord in your singleness. You can thrive in your singleness because God is with you. Remain in your calling. And this may be the application that you need from God's word this morning. Is maybe you've been thinking about leaving your calling. Maybe you've been thinking about jumping your ship on, on, on marriage. Maybe you've been thinking, my, my job's just too hard. I've got to go find something else. And it's possible with the job that the Lord is saying, I want you to stay right where you're at. Maybe you're wanting to change churches and God isn't leading you to do that. God is leading you to stay planted in the church that you're in. Now, it's great if the Lord's leading you to a new church, but sometimes there's going to be difficult seasons in the life of a church and to be able to say, this is where God's called me, so I'm going to remain in my calling. So we know with marriage, he's absolutely called us to remain there. And it could be the possibility with our job. It could be the possibility with our church family. I'm so thankful for so many here at RMC that have stuck with us through the years. Many of you have been here for five years, 10 years, 25 years. And it's because of your love for the Lord and saying, I want to continue to walk through my church family, with my church family through the good times and the bad. What does God want to do this morning? Why is this message being brought to us? We don't want to just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. When you buy something, it means you value it. When you purchase it, like, ah, oh, this is so valuable to me. I'm going to, to buy it. You are valued by God to the point where he purchased you with the blood of his own son. One of the things that the father emphasizes about Jesus is, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He's crying out audibly from heaven saying, this is my boy right here. This is my boy. And I am so proud of him. I love him. He's my only begotten son. Why would he declare that to us so emphatically and so, so loudly? Because he loved us enough to give his son to a brutal death upon the cross to buy us unto himself so that we would be his bride, we'd be his sons, we'd be his daughters. And when that impacts us, when we go, I am loved by God, to the point then where we say, I want to live it out. I'm going to live it out in marriage. I am going to express my love to my spouse because I'm loved by God. I'm going to commit to being an affectionate spouse holistically in the entire part of my marriage because Jesus has bought me with a price. And that includes sex, but that also includes every aspect of, of our relationship. To say, you know what, I am committed to my marriage. I'm not going to consider divorce even when it gets difficult because Jesus has bought me with a price. And those of you that are considering and planning for divorce, I want to plead with you to allow God to shut that door and lock the deadbolt, to take cinder blocks in your mind and to just seal that up and to say, divorce is not an option. And now let's press into the Lord, let's press into one another. Let's soften our hearts. Let's have some difficult conversation. Let's call the church office and get some, some marriage counseling. 
Let's choose to work on our marriage and allow the Lord to bring life where there's death. He's the God of of the resurrection. To examine where's my calling? Where has God placed me? What is he calling me to? And I'm not going to walk away from that calling. This is where God wants me to work. This is where God wants me to live. This is the people that God is wanting me to invest in. God has called me to singleness. God has called me to marriage. So I'm gonna respond. But if the blood of Jesus doesn't move us, then what will? If we sit here and we read these passages and we go, oh, I'm bought with a price, ho-hum, I'm gonna go do whatever I want with my life, then we've missed the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is ongoing. The message of the gospel impacts us today and it says, my life doesn't belong to me. As the American church, we need to hear this. Our life does not belong to us. Our body does not belong to us. It belongs to Jesus. And we're moved by his love. We're compelled by his love. It's not legalism. It's relationship. We go, I am bought with a price. So Jesus, I belong to you. And because I belong to you, then that affects the way I treat my spouse. That affects what I believe about divorce. That affects what I believe about my job. And God, I want to live out that calling. It all flows out of the blood of Jesus. It all flows out of being bought with a price. This is not about your spouse. It's not about your kids. It's not about your job. It's not about your church family. It's about Jesus. And as we get our eyes on Jesus and him being crucified for us, then we respond and say, Jesus, you have my life. You have my life. I want to serve you. Let's pray this in. Jesus, we ask right now in your name and your character and your kindness that you would wake us up to the reality of your gift of yourself upon the cross. Father, that we would see how much you love the Son, that he is your only begotten, he's your boy, and you sent him to die upon the cross because you love us, because we're your special treasure. And out of that, may it move us in marriage. Out of that, May it move us in this commitment to not divorce. And out of that, may we be faithful to the calling that you have given to us. We pray, Lord, over those that don't know you, that have never understood the magnitude of what you have done for them on the cross, that right now, in this moment, would be the moment where they turn to you for salvation. For those marriages that are hurting, God, that they would turn to you. For those singles that are discouraged, that they would turn to you. For those marriages that are healthy, that you would bless those marriages and protect them by your grace. So let's wait on the Lord together for a few moments. And if you need to receive Christ as your Savior, you say, you know, I've never repented of my sin. I've never believed that Jesus died for me and rose again. I want to lead you in a prayer. I want you to pray this with me out loud right where you're at. Jesus, I believe that you're God that you died for my sins and rose again. I know I'm a sinner. You know that I'm a sinner. I repent of my sin and receive your grace and forgiveness. Be the Lord of my life. Thank you for saving me and thank you for forgiving me. Father, I thank you for those that have just responded to the gospel Pray that you would fill them with your spirit, that they would know the joy of their salvation, their forgiveness, that you would lift the burden of sin off of their shoulders, 
that you would show them their most important relationship in their life is their relationship with you. And I want to pray over married couples that are, that are hurting. If your marriage is hurting, just raise your hand right where you are to the Lord. The Lord sees you. Father, I pray for these hurting marriages. For the stress of quarantine, the stress of the finances, the stress of hurt from the years of the past. Jesus, I believe that you're the God of the resurrection, that you do amazing things. And I'm asking in Jesus' name that you would soften hard hearts, that you would bring tender hearts towards spouses, that the knowledge of what you have done on the cross would awaken inside of souls. Lord, would you awaken husbands to what you have done for them on the cross? Would you awaken wives to what you've done for them on the cross? Would you open up communication? Would you open up forgiveness? Would you give them wisdom on who to reach out to to help them? God, but would you protect and would you restore marriages? So we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.